All right, how's everybody doing? Woo! Y'all awake? Y'all awake? How's everybody doing? Woo! All right. All right. We're here. <laughs> That's good. Um, we've been talking about gifts of the Spirit, and we're going to kind of continue down that vein. Um, and, man, the, two Sundays ago, I wrote, like, I guess four Sundays worth of sermons all at once and realized that it wasn't going to work out doing them all at once. So I've kind of broken them up um, in a, inadvertently. Uh, but what I kind of want to catch people that weren't here last week, kind of catch us up and remind us of the direction that we're going. What we talked about last week was the manifestation. That word really stood out to me um, as we were reading from 1 Corinthians 12, 7. It says, but the manifestation of the Spirit is given to each one for the profit of all. Um, and it goes on to talk about what those things are and how, especially in the Corinthian church, they were having some issues with the way they were practicing those things and Paul was addressing those. Um, but the key here is that it was a manifestation of something. A manifestation in the Greek is phanerosis. I may be pronouncing that correctly, may not. Um, but it's an exhibition, expression, display, or demonstration. It is not the thing. It is, it is the result of a thing. Does that make sense? Okay. So something has happened, and from that thing that has happened, there is a manifestation of that thing. So when it talks about the manifestation of a gift, the gift is the Holy Spirit. The gift is the gospel, is the truth. The gift is Jesus. Okay. The manifestation of that is the things that we will see and will experience and will be displays of what has happened in our hearts. Does that make sense? It's not, so the, so the gift is not the thing, the gift is the result of the thing. Okay, we need to nail that down so we can kind of move forward from that place as a launching board, a bit, a bit of a launching board. So at the very end of that, um, at, the, at the very end of uh, 1 Corinthians 12, it says he's distributing to each one individually as he wills. So the key there is it's not, the, the tendency that I've heard, and I've heard other pastors uh, preach it this way, and I have a draw to try to do it as well, to try to break these things down and teach them in a practical manner that we can, we can practice them and get better at them. The problem with that is the same problem I have with um, preaching a tithe in the New Covenant is if we preach it with limits and boundaries, then what's going to happen when God calls you out of those limits and boundaries, right? Yeah. So if you give 10% and you leave here and someone needs something, you say, well, I'm good, I gave my 10%, right? I've checked that box off. That's not how God works. God is relational. In the same way, our gifts are, are determined by the needs of others, not by our own ability to, to manufacture those things. Make sense? Manifestations are from a gift. A gift is not uh, this, this hard training that you've got to work really hard to figure out all the time. It doesn't mean that we don't grow in our, in our manifestations of our gifts. It doesn't mean that we don't um, operate get better at them as we continue to do them. It just means that we recognize where they come from because it's as he wills, not as I will. What I've seen too many times, I've been in church long enough to see, is we can, we can slowly start shifting back into our will and giftings and saying, okay, well, now I'm, I'm gifted in this area, and I'm anointed, and I am you know, the man of God, and I'm going to do this, and then people begin to flock to us. That's not, that's not the gospel. The gospel is the gifts are to draw people to the gospel. <laughs> the gifts are to draw people to Jesus. The gifts are to draw people to new life in him. The gifts are a manifestation of the truth that we are reconciled to God. That is the manifestation. That is the thing that comes out. That we have to have a source for that. We don't. The, the, the difference we've talked about over and over and over again between religion and relationship is religion tries to be something that it's not over and over and over again, and it's very exhausting. But relationship allows God to work in and through us. Relationship says, I care for people, not I'm going to check this off my list. This person 
gave their life to Jesus, and, and that's, that's it. I don't really care about this person. I just I want to check it off the list like a, like a tally. And I, I always think about the times when I was going through and trying to figure out this whole Christian life and being trained to go out and make people feel uncomfortable in Walmart <laughs> that I didn't care about those people. I, it breaks my heart that I genuinely didn't care about people. I just thought that God would be angry if I didn't do what he wanted me to do. I had a poor, rep- had a, a poor understanding of who God was, and in, in that, I didn't represent him well because I was trying to twist people's arm into doing something they didn't want to do. The fact is, everyone wants this. They just don't know it. <laughs> I love how Buddy put that. The answer to all the world's trials and troubles are the gospel. They're there. They're right in front of us. You don't have to spin it in a way that it's palatable. It's palatable. It's the good news. It's good news for a reason. So the, manifest, the manifestation is a result of something. So when we talk about um, how we represent Christ, I pray that we don't narrow it down to just these things because I, I have seen so many times where God has taken me out of places that I thought that I was gifted and put me in places that he needed me to be something that I wasn't. Not only did he put me in those places, he gave me the power to do those things that I didn't have on my own. One of those is pastoring. <laughs> One of those is, is, is caring for people that if it was up to me and my own strength that I would fail in those areas. I, don't, I can't love like God loves. The way that I was brought up was a very um, transactional version of love, which was I do for you, you do for me. I kind of call it a hustle. <laughs> um, there, may, there may not be a spoken expectation of something in return, but you know you owe them something if someone does something for you or cares for you. There was always that you owe me that came with it. That's, that's not love. That's a transaction. That's not a gift, right? When we talk about the manifestations of a gift, it is just that. It's a gift. And we freely we receive it, and what? Freely we give it. We give it away just as freely as we receive it. Any time that I've struggled with, I use this example just because it's easy because I'm around Tracy more than anybody else. I use this example in marriage when there's, there's times when um, me and Tracy aren't getting along or I'm frustrated about a certain situation and I go to pray about it because it bothers me. I'm upset, I'm hurt, or I'm angry or whatever it is. And every time I bring it to the Lord, he, he comes back very lovingly and reminds me of who I am and how much he loves me and how screwed up I am. And it helps me to recognize that the bigger picture there is he's forgiven me of much more than whatever little tiff is going on between me and Tracy. Does that make sense? That, that extends out to all the relationships. It's like having Jesus lenses on, seeing that that way. Now, there's a, there's a reason why we have the ability to do this. The power that we have to actually uh, manifest the gifts that God gives us is because of the session of Christ, is because Christ is seated. And we're going to kind of tackle that pretty, I guess, analytically at first, and then we'll kind of look at what that looks like in our life. So the session of Christ, or the heavenly session, says that Jesus is seated at the right hand of God the Father. Uh, Jesus Christ is the high priest for believers. He is who? He is the one who represents the people before God the Father. Uh, the New Testament says that his, uh, his high priestly ministry was superior to that of the priest of Israel. As a son of God, Jesus performed everything better than the earthly priest. Jesus' priesthood is a superior, is superior to that of the earthly priests in every way. Can you toss me a water, tea, please? I'm dry mouthed. Thank you. Whoa. Yeah, just heart's beating faster. <laughs> that 
would have been embarrassing if I'd have flipped over backwards. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> oh, yeah. Hey, I did not fall. Uh, <laughs> we're recording it. Jesus' priesthood is superior to that of the earthly priest in every way. So let's look at the difference. The earthly priest had to offer sacrifice for their own sin. The one problem with earth, earthly priests was that they were sinful. They had to bring sin offerings for the people as well as sin offerings for themselves. On the holiest, of the, uh, holiest day of the year, the Day of Atonement, uh, the high priest went into the Holy of Holies twice. The first time he went to, represent a, to present a sin offering for himself, he had to do this before he could be a, represent, a representative of the people. The second time he went in was to present a sin offering for the people. So he had to offer one offering for himself because he was sinful, and then he had to offer a second offering for the people. Jesus did not bring any sin offering. In contrast to the early priests, Jesus did not uh, have to bring a sin offering. Hebrews 7.26 says, For such a high priest was fitting for us, who is holy, harmless, undefiled, separate from sinners, and has become higher than the heavens. Unlike the other priests, he did not need to offer sacrifices day after day, first for his own sins and then for the sins of the people. He sacrificed for, the, for their sins once for all when he offered himself. For the law appoints as high priest men who are weak, but the oath which came after the law appointed the Son who has been made perfect. Jesus stands sinless before the Father. Because he withstood all temptation, he can effectively intercede to God on our behalf in a vastly superior fashion to those earthly priests who were just as sinful as those he, that they represented. So you see the contrast between the, the priest that had to constantly offer the sacrifice over and over and over and over and over again every day, and it was never enough to, to take away the sins of the world, but Jesus did it once for all. He didn't have to offer sacrifice for himself. He only offered, he offered himself as a sacrifice for our sins. So he is, he is a greater priest for us, and he is an eternal priest for us. He is seated because his work was finished. No one else could do it but him. He was the only one. Because he is seated, he sacrificed himself for sin, and he was not, not like an animal sacrifice. He sacrificed himself. The animals were brought to the altar as unwilling victims, but Jesus went to the cross as a willing sacrifice. This truth blows me away every time I read it. John ten seventeen says, Therefore, uh, because I lay down my own life that I may take it up again, no one takes it from me. Jesus voluntarily gave up his life. We know this because in the garden he was saying, Lord, if there's any other way, I'd like to take another path, that's fine. But not my will, but yours be done. He submitted himself to the Father on our behalf. He cared enough for us to do that. It was a willing sacrifice. He wasn't unwilling. No one, no one did it to him. It was, it was the Father's plan from the beginning, but he chose to do that for us. That blows me away. That is agape love. That's love that says, I will give of myself. We talk about relationships not just in marriage, but with other people. Listen, when you stop looking for your source to be other people, like um, I always say, would don't look to branches, <laughs> look to the vine. People will not fulfill the needs that you have. They never will, as much as they would like to sometimes, especially in relationships, they don't. The freedom that we have to not look for other people to fulfill that in us is the freedom that we need to actually give out the gospel of Jesus because it's that type of love that people need to see. Anybody can love people that love them back. It's a Christian that demonstrates the love of Christ to the ones that don't deserve it, to the ones that can, can give nothing in return, that have nothing to, to give back. 
I think Jesus demonstrated this even in the physical, how he reached out to the sick and the poor, the ones that were marginalized, the ones that were uh, pushed away in, in society. I think that's a good visual for us to see how Christ reached out, like came from heaven and brought his kingdom with him and reached out to us and loved us. There are no more sacrifices necessary. There are no more sacrifices necessary. You are not a sacrifice. There's there's nothing else that we can give that Jesus has not already given. There's no way that you could ever earn everything that he's earned on your behalf. Please, please, please don't try to offer sacrifices when the sacrifice has already been made. Because Jesus was the perfect sacrifice, the need for offering animals is now finished. Consequently, there is no longer the need for the priests to offer sacrifices. Jesus fulfilled this need by offering himself once for all. The earthly priest had to repeat the animal sacrifice time and time again, but Jesus' one offering of himself ended that need. The Levitical priests stood when they discharged their duties, but the writer to Hebrews says that after Jesus offered his single sacrifice for our sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Jesus' one sacrifice was complete, ending all need for further sacrifice. This is the session, what we call the session of Christ. He is seated. Because he is seated, that's why we have power to do what we have. What we can do on this earth is because Jesus paid the ultimate price and sacrifice for our sins. Jesus is an eternal priest. His priesthood is far superior to the earthly priest in the fact that they all grew old and died while he lives eternally. The Old Testament priests, who were all mortal men, had to die and transfer their priesthood to the next generation. Jesus, the eternal priest, does not have to do this, for he is, he is forever alive and a permanent priest. Hebrews 7.25 says, there, Therefore he is, also avail- he is also able to save to the uttermost those who come to God through him, since he lives forever to make intercession for them. He is always making intercession for us. He never stops. We don't have to look for something new to do that. We don't have to look for a new way to do that. He's doing it all the time. Once again, one of the reasons we don't, we don't preach uh, tithe as a law here, it's not a bad principle. If you need uh, a principle to say, well, start with 10%, and that's a good idea to, to, so that I can, I can give, that's fine. But as, as a law, the reason why they had to do that back then is because the priests made intercession, right? They were constantly trying to make intercession for people because they had to. There was no one else to make intercession for them. Now, in the New Covenant, I don't make intercession for you. You don't owe me 10%, right? You don't owe the church. You, you guys have a Holy Spirit that makes intercession for you because of, the, because of the session of Christ. Now, does that mean you just don't give anymore? No, we, we like air conditioning. We like the lights on. We, we, you know, we have something that I think is beneficial that we get to meet here and we get to worship together. We get to learn together. So there is a reason that we do continue to give, but it's not out of an obligation that I'm making intercession for you because I'm not. The Holy Spirit makes intercession for you because he is inside you. Jesus is a merciful and faithful priest. Hebrews 2.17 says, For this reason, he had to be made like his brothers in every way in order that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in service to God and that he might make atonement for the sins of the people. Jesus is a sympathetic high priest. Hebrews 4.14 says, Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has gone through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet was without sin. Let us then approach the throne of grace with confidence, 
so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Listen, if you have a sin issue, if you, if you struggle with sin, it's not a sin issue, it's a faith issue. It's not the sin that has power over you because that's been defeated. It's, faith, it's a faith issue that you don't have faith in the one that's defeated sin for you. We have to understand that this whole idea of the session of Christ and him being seated and his completed work means that you don't have to be bound up by sin anymore. You are free to not sin. The, the next question would come, well, why do I still struggle with sin, right? Why do I still have these thoughts? Why do I still sometimes, why am I sometimes still tempted if this is done? That's a legitimate question, right? It's because we still have to renew our minds to the truth that's what happened in our hearts. We haven't caught up yet. We still, I don't know about you, but I was, I was lost for 20 years. And I had a way of doing things that was wrong for 20 years. I had a, a self-referential idea of life. Everything revolved around me. Anybody else dealt with that? I have needs. I need to hustle. I need to make transactions so that I can take care of myself. I didn't have an agape view of life. I didn't have a, an understanding that God had good plans for me. I thought that everything was going bad, and I had to hustle to make sure that I could just make it and survive. You see the difference? No one, no one had to train me or had to convince me that my way was wrong. I knew very well that it was not working out. As much as I wanted it to, and as, as hard as I worked at it to try to make it work out, I knew that the way that things were going was going to end, and it was going to end ugly. What I needed was someone to demonstrate and to show me that there was a loving God that could change my whole outlook on, could change my whole paradigm on life, that could, that could not just tell me the way to live, but actually be with me and walk me through it. Jesus' priesthood is superior to the earthly priests in the following ways. His duties are performed in heaven. They take place in a spiritual building, not an earthly sanctuary. An eternal sinless priest, not a sinful human priest, performs the duties. The sinless priest offers himself or offered himself as a once-for-all sacrifice for sin, ending the need for a Levitical earthly priesthood. Jesus was superior to the human priesthood in every way. So what that means to you and me is from John 14, 12. It says, Very truly I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works I have been doing, and they will do even greater things than these, because I am going to the Father, and I will do whatever you ask in my name, so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. You may ask me for anything in my name, and I will do it. Now what this doesn't mean is that you're just going to do greater miracles than he's doing. This is what I've heard this translated as. It's not what he's saying. What he's saying is, when he's on earth, he can only be in one place at one time. His presence is, is like that. Even in the old covenant, he would come and go. This new way, this new covenant, the reason why we can do greater things is because he's not limited by time and space anymore. He now lives in, in you and me. Verse 12, very truly I tell you, who believes, whoever believes in me will do the works I've been doing, and they will do even greater than these. Why? Because I am going to the Father, and I will do whatever you ask in my name. Why? So that the Father may be glorified in the Son. You see the pattern. Why does he do these things? So that, the, so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. Why do we manifest gifting? Why do we manifest any giftings in our life? Why is there any, any results of what's going on in our lives? So that the Father may be glorified in the Son. 
like the idea that, that even going back to what I was feeling in worship, the idea that a God that created the universe, that literally spoke the earth into existence, created us from dirt, breathed life into us, cares enough to walk with us and talk with us. Um, I remember someone telling me that the Lord blessed them with an upfront parking spot, and I kind of scoffed at it, like, really? Like God cares about your parking spot? And I had to repent, like several years later, I had to repent from that because what that person needed at the time was an upfront parking spot. Does that mean you're always going to get an upfront parking spot? No, you're not. I think we all can tell you that you're not going to always get one. But to me, that demonstrated how personal God is that at that moment, this person that was telling me that needed that to happen, and that revealed the Father's heart to them. I told you guys a couple weeks ago about this whole house deal that we're going through. You know, I had this idea and this plan and this we were going to go in this direction, and I was so dead set on it that I completely missed this blessing that kept just knocking on my door. Like, hey, you should probably check on this. You should probably check on this. I was like, oh, we're going to do this. We're going to do this. I've got this idea that we're going to do this. And all of a sudden, I'm like, okay, well, this isn't working. My plans, I don't know if you've ever been there. My plans aren't working. I thought I had it all figured out. I mean, literally plans. I had house plans. (laughs) Literally had plans. This isn't working. But I was so invested in my way (laughs) that I had kind of missed God had something better. Now, hindsight, now that we're, we're supposed to close Friday of this week, is awesome. Hindsight, with the lumber prices going up and me being completely clueless as to contracting my own house being built, but being, you know, ignorant enough to just tackle it like I could knew what I was doing, this is a much better plan than I could have done. God had a plan. If I would have just taken a step back and prayed about it, he would have shown me, which he did eventually. Thankfully, he managed to keep our land tied up for six months until we could see it clear. Um, I know, it's crazy. Every time I think about it, it just blows my mind. But all that to say that God is so personal that he'll, he'll give you these, I mean, to meet a woman that prays over her, the studs when she's building her house and talks about a family, you know, that the right family would have to come along for you, to her to even sell it, not that we're anything special, but that it was God's timing. I mean, I don't know what else you would want to, to, to demonstrate the love of Father for his kids. I mean, I, I don't know what, it, I mean, I do know. I mean, I'm looking at, at Bill and Renee, and, and I know their story, and I, I look at the Turners, and I know their story and their history, and I look, you know, I look at the Dannys, and I know, I, know, I know all you guys, Mark and Renee, I know your history, and I know who you are, and I know what you've been through, and I, I love the, I, I posted this little meme the other day, and it was basically uh, a person's story and then how much you know of a person's story. And that's so true. We need to be much more sensitive of this when we talk about manifesting our gifts. We need to be sensitive to not knowing everything there is to know about a person. We need to, we need to be sensitive to the Holy Spirit leading us in how we manifest gifts to other people, not in our own abilities, but in the way that God wants us to. This is not easy. We want to talk about these miracles of, of you know, growing a leg or raising the dead and casting out demons. Those are awesome. But I think the greatest miracle is loving your neighbor. Because in and of myself, I can't do that on my own. I can get hurt, and I'll lash out, and I'll, I'll say something that I shouldn't say. Or I will regress, and I'll hide because I don't know how to handle a situation. I'm not perfect. But if we submit to the Father and we say, okay, you need to, take, you need to do something here, just like he, we talked about just now, he's not an earthly priest. He's in the heavens. He can take care of things that we can't take care of. Why? Because we don't war against flesh and blood. 
Thank God we don't. (laughs) Because we fight from victory, not towards it. We have a great high priest that has already defeated all of our enemies. People are not your enemy. They never have been. And they still didn't get it back then. They thought that, you know, Jesus was going to come in on a white horse with a sword. He came in on a donkey. They thought he was going to make them the geopolitical leaders of the, of the world again. And he said, no, I'm going, to, I'm going to take care of your real enemy, which is sin, death, and hell. And I'm going to make a public spectacle of them on the cross. Listen, the real miracle is us being able to love outside of our own needs and our own wants and having a view like Christ has. Second Corinthians 5.14 says, For Christ's love compels us. Because we are convinced that one died for all, and therefore all died, and he died for all, that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. There's a, there's a, a self-referential life that says, I have all these needs and, and I need them met. And then there's a Christ-referential life that says, Christ has already met all of my needs. So now my only job now is to love those like, yeah, is to trust him and love those like he loved me. Verse 16, so from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Let me say that again. (laughs) From now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Our glasses are changed. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come, the old is gone, the new is here. All this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. If this could be my heart cry for our church, is this right here. He has given us the the ministry of reconciliation. He has given us the ability to go out and give the good news and people's sins can be forgiven. We can reconcile people to God. And I'm talking about a checklist that says you get to go to heaven now when you die. I'm talking about you get the kingdom right now. I'm talking about you get to have an abundant life right now. That God was reconciled to the God was reconciled to the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors. Do you know what an ambassador is? They go to another country, they represent our country, or, or, or vice versa. You know, if someone comes over here from another country, they represent their country. country. We are ambassadors of Christ. As though God were making his appeal through us. <laughs> wow. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Ephesians 3.20 says, Now to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think according to the power that works in us. Where's the power work? In us. You don't have to come to church to get power. It seems seems like... I shouldn't, I'm not telling you not to come to church. It's good to come to church. I'm just telling you, you don't have to come here to get power. You have it every day. You don't check your Holy Spirit at the door. This is not a temple. You're a temple. We joke around. We don't, we don't drink out of clay jars anymore, so I always call us Dixie Cups because we're, you know, we're kind of wasting away. But the Holy Spirit has, has come to live in us. And though we're weak, and if you're over 40, you'll just start to discover 
I don't know where metabolism goes, but it's gone. <laughs> so you, be, you, become, you, <laughs> you become a little weaker and you make weird noises when you get up and down. <laughs> or if you're ignorant enough to lift your Jeep more, you can't even get in it anymore. You just roll into it, just roll out of it. Um, but we're weak, but Christ gives us power and strength. Um, what was the verse that you were talking about this morning? Uh, Ephesians? Ephesians 3.16, what was it talking about? Back that up to the, the, you know, the scripture that when, when he says, uh, Lord, did we not cast out demons in your name? Did we not do all these things? He said, depart from me, I never knew you. I think that goes right along with it. The power is in the knowing of him. We don't have this dominion without the intimacy that we have with God. You don't walk around saying, I command you to do this, or I do this, or I do that. When you have intim- intimacy with the Father, the power that you have is to, to be able to love like Christ loved. When he has authority, he, reach, he reaches down and washes his disciples' feet. Hang on. Wait, we have a mic. You caught me asleep last time. He didn't raise his hand, you didn't call, and I wouldn't watch. <laughs> and then also, too, at the very end of that, he says, once you know his love, then you are filled with his spirit. It says that, you, that so that you may be filled with the fullness of God, but really what it's saying is so that you may be filled with the spirit. Right. So that is being attached to knowing his love for you, so that will enable you to do what he has called you to do in, right. in your giftings and stuff. So it's not really necessarily about anything externally more than, any, more, more than what it is, something that takes place in, in, internally for you. Right. So. Well, just like we talked about last week with the 70 or 72 that went out and they came back and they're like, ah, oh, it worked. We yeah. casted out demons and they listened to us and we have authority. And Jesus says, well, that's awesome, but don't be excited about that. Be excited that your names are written in heaven. Mm-hmm. And hear me. He's not saying be excited that you have fire insurance and you get to go to heaven when you die. He's saying, no, be excited that you know the Father now. Your names are written. You, you are now in his lineage. You are now a royal priesthood, holy and righteous. Be excited about that. Now, from that place, you're going to see some stuff. There's going to be a manifestation of that truth, that power of knowing Christ, and it's going to come out. It, but here's the thing. It should, be, it should be a very natural thing. You shouldn't now... I'm not saying you won't be intimidated sometimes by it because sometimes it'll catch you off guard and you're like, nope, that's a little bit weird. But I will tell you that it will be very natural. You will have a desire to do it. You may check yourself sometimes like, well, this is going to be not socially acceptable or this is going to be awkward or this is going to be weird. What is that? That's self-referential. That's worried about you. Don't be self-referential. Be Christ-centered, not you-centered. Yeah. Uh I just wanted to add to, um, in thinking about like approaching spiritual gifts and things, it's good to want to press an intimacy for the purpose of that, but that's not, that shouldn't be our, our goal. Our goal shouldn't be to draw close to God so we can have spiritual gifts. Is that you get to know him because he's so good. And that should be the driving factor for us drawing close to God. Not, not everything else is amazing, but even if we, even if we couldn't do all those things, it's just, just getting to know God from a place of superior intimacy alone is worth it, I feel like. And it's just even cool that we get to do all the cool stuff, too. But it's just like, it's just, just draw close to God, and so many wonderful things will happen. It's well, just the, a byproduct. 
Yeah, Kelly. Sorry. Um, yeah, just piggybacking off of that, like, aside from the gifts, more so about the gift giver, I wish that, like, we could really understand how big of a deal that it is that we host the presence of God yeah. inside of our bodies, yeah. you know? Like, that is so much more important that we know the Holy Spirit, that we get to know God, you know? And, um, yeah, I just, I mean, just like that verse, did we not cast out demons in your name? He says, I, Did the, we not prophesy in your name? Did right. we not do all of these miracles? Depart from me, you workers of iniquity, for I never knew you. Right. Like, I wish that we could, like, to know the the height, the width, the depth, and the length, to know the love of Christ that surpasses understanding, like Brian said. Like, I wish that we could get, like, the seriousness of this, myself included. Like, yeah. during the daytime, like, I walk around and host the presence of God. Like, that's so huge. They had the, the Ark of the Covenant that hosted the presence of God. Like, we are that's that us, now. Right. That's us now. They died. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. If, if they accidentally touched it, they died. There's right. that insane closeness now that they would like have killed for back then. And right. we, we get that every day. And I guess, yeah, because we're, we're made righteous now by the Holy Spirit. I guess if anything, we shouldn't, I guess we can probably see something so good like this and get used to it and maybe even take it for granted, myself included. Yeah, nice. and, I, and I'll tell you, kings and priests for centuries longed for what we have. Yes. Like all the, that's all they wanted. And they could, they could never attain it until the new covenant came. And we have it. Meet goofy. Yeah, Justin like if we offered, like, like if we offered like a it. bad, you like, guys in, have it. <laughs> like in the past, if they offered offered like a, a bad offering, like a like a like a like a lamb that was like had a broken leg, you're right. like, well, this is crap. You're dead now. But it's like <laughs> if it's <laughs> some kind of like, little dirty pigeon. I don't want that. It's like no. It's like it's it's such a huge deal. I just I just if anything, it's just an appeal to like just draw close to God because it's such an amazing gift now. It is. It's even better than the gifts. The well, gift of just knowing. Well, here and here's the thing. Uh, a good example, I just thought of this too. Um, my kids have started, they're making new friends at school, and so they're starting to hang around with different friends. And when they do, they come home and they talk like them. Like, completely different. I'm like, who, is, who are you? Who is in our house? And it's our kids, and they're talking completely different. Why? Because they've been around somebody. They've kind of taken on some of their characteristics. In the, my first, the first sermon I ever preached here, when Mark asked me to preach one day when I was a youth pastor, was on identity, was on... Um, icon, which is the the, char- the very character, the image of God that we are image bearers, um, and still to this day is one of the one of the ones I remember more than any other. I was nervous; it was my first time, but it was something I really thought was very important, and still is. And it was that God, from the very beginning, put His character and His nature in you, and that's what He has always desired, even after the fall. And He brought us back and reconciled us to that. The, the reason it's important is because image, the word image there in the Greek icon, is not just that. God has a nose and two eyes and ears, but it's the very character of God. It is how he loves. It is how he reacts to situations. It is how he, it's what he wants. It's what he desires. He's given that to us. He's given us his character. We are image bearers in the fact that we carry around the character of God. A good example, if you, if, I hope you guys don't mind me sharing because I'm going to share it. Um, Gabe and Kelly, a few Sundays ago, were up here praying and, and I asked that they actually confirmed the whole house thing. They didn't even know it, but they did. But I normally don't come up here for prayer, but I was like, I just, 
I saw them two, and they were kind of weeping, and they'd been praying, and I was like, I'll, just, I'll take some prayer while you guys are over here praying. And after it all, when we talked, we just were, you know, just hanging out and talking as we do. Um, I could see, I mean, I could feel it before Gabe ever said anything, but he said, we, Kelly and I have just been praying that we don't just pray for people, but we actually have empathy and we feel what they feel. Do you remember that? That we, that we don't just take it for granted that we're just going to pray for them and walk away, but that we make it a, our own, whew, that we make it our own burden and we pray throughout the week and that we take that on ourselves as something that we want to do. And it's not something that they're saying that they have to or that they think God's going to be mad at it, but I could, <clears throat> it wasn't just something, it was, it was very real, very genuine. And that is a good example of, being, of, of having an understanding of who God is and knowing him and knowing his heart because you desire those things. You, you want those things. It's not out of, a, out of fear or obligation, but it's because of who he is to us. It's the very character of God working in and through us. And it is something that we don't need to take lightly. We need to recognize it for what it is and see it when it comes up. I've said for years, the, the older I get, you know, the Bible talks about time and chance and divine intervention. The, the older I get, I've seen more of the latter than the first, that he is involved in so much more than I thought. Now, there may be some coincidences, but I'm seeing less and less of them as I'm getting older. All I see is opportunities now. When I run into people, we're at a party, we're at a, you know, we were at a trampoline park last night, and I, man, all I could think was, and there, there were some kids acting wild in there, and I just thinking, man, how, how, can, how, can I re, how can we reach them, you know, to, to help them understand who they are in Christ? How could, you know, and it, it was a little overwhelming because there were so many kids in there. But, I mean, it's just everything, when you, when you see that, when you feel it, when you know it, it becomes very normal to you. <laughs> it's the normal Christian life. <laughs> it's not abnormal. The cultural norms will begin to fade away. And you may seem weird at times. <laughs> Sorry. But when you're, when you're, when you're Christ-centered and not self-centered, I'm, I'm sure Christ Jesus seemed pretty weird at the time as well. He went against pretty much every social norm. So all that to say, um, when, when, we, when we manifest the giftings that God gives us, don't narrow them down to certain things, like pinpoint those things. But in the intimacy that you know the Father, when you manifest these gifts, recognize that they're not for you to grow in power. They're for others to grow in knowing him. Does that make sense? When we manifest, when we, when we demonstrate God's love to people, it is not so that, although we will learn, it's not so that we can learn and get better at it, although we will as a natural byproduct. <laughs> I said byproduct weird, byproduct. Put the emphasis on a different syllable. All right, so we, <laughs> we, when we do it, we are actually, exactly what the scripture is saying, we are reconciling those to God. We have been given the ministry of reconciliation. We are bringing God's hand and their hand together. Even when they talk about miracles, it says the, when, when you see these things happen, it's because there's two different ways it was said. One in, I think, Luke and one in Mark, maybe. He says, the finger of God has come upon you. You remember that? Or, and another one says, the hand of God. This means that the kingdom has come. When you see these things happen, and they will happen, what you're seeing is not just this miracle. It's the kingdom of God moving. It's the hand of God reaching out and touching people. And I could, that's a whole different sermon. I could go all the way back to the Old Testament, how the, the strong hand of God and brought an exile and all that. It's, a, it's a kind of a look back at that and showing us that this new covenant is God's hand taking care of us. It is him reaching out to us and seeing us. Yes, we have a plank. Right here, Janet. Sorry, I thought I had a customer on this side. <laughs> 
I just have to share, I'd recently heard what happened to my son, Ben, as a teenager, and he's 31. I just knew that he wasn't a Christian as a teenager, and then one day I passed his bedroom, and he was reading the Bible, and I was like, oh my gosh, you know, and then he started changing. So anyway, I found out he really got saved through a word of knowledge that someone had, and it was at the... um, old church that we met at at Government Street, you know, and he was 16. We must have forced him to go to the service because he didn't want to. It was an (laughs) evening service. I have no remembrance of it, but he told me all this. And he said that um, he, when he sat down, he felt like he was just going crazy. And that all of a sudden, whoever was speaking, it wasn't Mark, said, somebody here is feeling like they are going crazy. And so Ben was like, whoa. So he he just got up and went out into the foyer and started pacing around. And then he said, when he finally came back in, he overheard Lonnie Honeycutt telling my dad, I really think that word was for Ben. So then Ben was like, whoa, you know. <laughs> and before this, you guys, one time, you know, he he we had to find his password on the computer because he'd got into some stuff and he said, uh, my password is demon number one. I was like, Yeah, it would be, yeah. And then <laughs> and then one time Michelle reminded me her husband Michael, who's a pastor, said, Ben, you know, if you die tonight, do you know where he'd go? Do you know where you'd go? And he said, Yeah, I'd go to hell and I'm okay with that. So I was like, Wow, you know. But he saw the Badons, he saw Keith and me, and he just actively said, I'm not going that way. I'm not going to be a Christian. And so I think it took something like that. And he said it did take, take a few more months. I think that's what was going on when I saw him reading the Bible. But he said it took a few more months, and then he finally surrendered his life to Christ. But I was just, I'm just blown away how good God is to us, you know, that's and awesome. how he used that. So. And how, that's another demonstration of how personal he is. He, it, wasn't, it wasn't just that it was this word of knowledge because, oh, hey, I'm giving you a word of knowledge. It was something that he needed to hear, um, which we've had the same thing uh, when Lynn Hiles came and had a word for Buddy, you know, in the back, and Buddy was like, Buddy felt like the Holy Spirit was telling him to come up front, but he was like, no, I'm not doing that. If, if he has a word for me, he'll come to me. And Lynn said, hey, I've got a word for you. Anyone going to In the same way, I've got another friend that doesn't come to our church that I've known for years. He went into a church service, and it was a more charismatic church service, and he was a little put off by that because he, he had a more traditional, like, rigid background. And so he, he was actually dating a girl, and he was just there because she went to that church. So it was just for her. Same thing, like somebody probably made him go or whatever. And he remembered being like freaked out by everything. And he went outside and like hid in the bushes because <laughs> he felt something happening and he didn't know what it was. And as he was hiding in the bushes, the Lord really began to speak to him and move. And, you know, and he wasn't inside the building. It was because God wanted to speak to him personally. Inside the bushes. In the bushes, <laughs> yeah, hiding in the bushes. <laughs> like, man, she's really pretty, but I don't know if I can take all this. You know, he was just hiding in the bushes. But then, then, uh, then the Lord will meet you right where you are. I mean, that's how gracious he is. He's not, he's not like, this is, this, is what, this is what confused me before I became a Christian was God was so complicated. I thought, and, and, and really the people really made him more convoluted. Like I had no clue. Nothing made any sense because most, a lot of the people that, were, that would go to church that were trying to basically tell me how bad I was never really, um, they were always angry <laughs> and they seemed frustrated all the time and, and all they did was just point at me, and they never I, never really saw it, it was, I don't know. 
I never really saw the love of God through a lot of the people as I was growing up. Now, I saw it happen with other people, and I thought, well, that's cool for other people. It's just not for me. I don't know if y'all ever felt that, but I felt that. I was like, yeah, it's just I'm not, I, I'm sure most of you have felt this, like I'm still, I'm not good enough, like I've done too much or whatever, whatever stupid thing we thought back then. But I just thought, well, yeah, that's good for other people. I don't dress that way. I don't, you know, I'm dirty and poor, and I don't, I'm not going to fit in in a church setting. And even after I got saved, I didn't really fit in a church setting. Um, I probably still don't fit in a church setting, whatever you want, whatever a church setting is. But all that to say that, that God didn't care about any of that. Like, he wasn't concerned about my own perception of it. He had his, and he just wanted to show me his. This goes back to the intimacy thing. He, he knows you. He knows everything about you. Like, even the bad stuff, even the crazy stuff, the weakness, the strength, he knows all of it. He knows every bit of it. In spite of all that, he loves us. I don't know what greater message you could give to someone that, look, God loves you so much that he's forgiven you of all your sins, past, present, and future. He loves you so much that it doesn't matter what you've done or what you're ever going to do, he still loves you and he wants you to be in his family. And he's a good father. He's better than any father you could ever have on earth. He's the best father ever. It's an announcement. It's a declaration. It's, you don't have to convince anybody of it. The Holy Spirit's a big boy. Don't neglect the Holy Spirit and, and what he can do in and, in and through just speaking love to people. He, he will do the work. It's not the whole parable about casting seeds. We, for whatever reason, we've wanted to focus on what kind of ground it falls on when the whole purpose of that is to cast seeds. Throw it every day, all day. Throw those seeds. It's not up to you to make them grow. God does that. Somebody will water them. Somebody will do something, you know. Somebody will nurture those seeds. They may or may not. You may never see the results of them. Throw them anyway. Love anyway. We talked about last week about being in a Jeep with no doors. Like, it's, it's illogical. It's dumb. It makes no sense. Love anyway. Stand up with me. I'll pray for you guys. Um, Father, I thank you that... Um, that it's your goodness that leads us to repentance. It's not fear from wrath because you already poured all your wrath out on Christ. You've done that already. You did that so that you could love us. And you've reconciled us to you and you give us the ministry of reconciliation to others. Lord, by default, if we, if we receive your agape love, we receive the love that you've given us, unmerited, um, undeserved. By default, Lord, we give that freely to those that are around us. Lord, help us to forgive like you forgive. Help us to, to look past inadequacies because we all have them. Help us to look past hurts and, and offenses, Lord, because you did. Lord, we don't have the luxury of seeing people from a worldly point of view anymore. If we've been born again, Lord, we have your glasses on. We have your spirit in us. Lord, help us to see people like you see them. It'll help us to call that out in them, holy and righteous and good. Help us to speak life. You've given us life to speak. Help us to speak life to those that are around us. Lord, as we leave this place, uh, whether we go eat with family or go to a restaurant, Lord, help us just highlight people that we can bless, that we can demonstrate your love in practical ways. Lord, let us never lose our wonder in who you are and how you work in and through us. Lord, help us to take it seriously and to reach out to those that are around us. In Jesus' name, amen.